Happy Friday, Story Fam. Where does the story belong? That's the question that's been on my mind um, really most of this year. Um, and I don't just mean geographically as we look for a new place to call our home in River Oaks. That search goes on. But I also mean in terms of our denomination, our affiliation, where do we belong um, in the world of churches and networks and denominations? In 1726, as John and Charles Wesley, along with a handful of other enthusiastic Anglicans, banded together at Christ Church in Oxford, their zeal for Jesus and his gospel was unmistakable. So passionate were they about striving for more than mere religion that their Christian critics, threatened by their fervor perhaps, branded the Wesley brothers and their friends with tongue-in-cheek nicknames like the Holy Club and Methodists. Such aspersions failed to distract the Wesleys from their stated mission to reform the nation, and in particular the church, and to spread scriptural holiness over the land. Well aware that his critics intended the Methodist moniker to be an insult, John embraced it and mobilized a movement called Methodism, which three centuries later now claims over 80 million members worldwide across several denominations. Two essential features made the Methodist movement great. First, the Wesleys and their associates held fast to historic biblical truth. While it was surely tempting to compromise their core principles for the sake of drawing bigger crowds, the First Methodists tirelessly aspired to meet the biblical standard of holy living. Second, as the institutional Anglican Church increasingly lost touch with ordinary people, the Methodists employed modern means of communication to share the gospel with the world beyond the walls. In 1739, a legendary, in a legendary act of holy rebellion, John Wesley broke with church law and came down from his sanctioned pulpit to preach the gospel in the open air for all to hear. Later that day, he wrote, At four in the afternoon, I submitted to become more vile and proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. This unique blend of orthodox theology and unorthodox strategy fanned the flames of Methodism westward across the Atlantic, where in its first hundred years it developed into a church-planting juggernaut. It was said that the Methodists were building two new churches a day. But the golden age of Methodist expansion feels like ancient history in 21st century America. These days, the world's largest Methodist denomination, the United Methodist Church, is fast approaching an ugly schism, and the future of the Wesleyan movement seems unclear. Recent studies have predicted that far from building two churches a day, the United Methodist Church in the United States will likely be closing two churches a day between now and 2030. That will be 30% of all current United Methodist congregations in America, and that figure does not include the many, many local churches and annual conferences that will certainly be leaving the United Methodist Church in the coming schism, probably next year and or the year after. With all of this in mind, the obvious question is, what will the story do at the end of this year when our time as part of St. Luke's is over? Should we remain part of the United Methodist Church? Should we join another denomination? Should we maybe go our own way as a fully independent, non-denominational church? The fact is, we're not entirely sure yet. Our board of directors, including Pastor Gio and I, have consulted with United Methodist leaders and we are prayerfully weighing all of the options before us. 
We're going to discuss these options in more detail at our upcoming town hall meetings later this month. There are a few things uh, that we do know for sure, though. First, we know that we care less about joining a denomination and doing missions than we do about joining a disciple-making movement and being on mission. Second, we will not compromise on the core biblical truth of our historic apostolic faith. And third, we insist on keeping the main thing the main thing by clearly communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's take those one at a time. First, we want to replace methods with movement and missions with the mission. For a long time in Western churches, missions have been done overseas, far from home. But in the 21st century, our mission field is wherever we are. As, as Winfield Bevins wrote in his, um, in his book called Church Planting Revolution, many Christians and churches teach that missions are something we support or do, such as supporting missionaries in other countries. But in the 21st century, the mission field has come to us. We live in a post-Christian world where people simply don't know the gospel anymore. Therefore, we are called to be missional and to share in the mission of God. In the United States, more than half of the population, over 180 million people, has no meaningful connection to any church whatsoever. It used to be the case that Christians were outnumbered, unwelcome, and even unsafe in faraway foreign lands, but now the same can be said of many cities and regions throughout the United States and the Western world, a trend which is likely to continue well into the future. There is no longer any distinction between the world of Christendom and the wild outer regions where Christians once traveled to do missions. People everywhere need Jesus, perhaps more than ever. So at The Story, we insist on being a church on a mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. This clear Christian mission was perfectly articulated and quite succinctly by John Wesley many years ago. He wrote, you have one business on earth to save souls. We want God's saving work in Jesus Christ to be our one business here on earth at The Story Church. Number two, uh, we are sure that we will never apologize for the Bible or for the historic apostolic faith. In her book, Another Gospel, Christian apologist Elisa Childers outlined four absolute convictions that the earliest Christians held without compromise. So first-generation Christians believe, number one, that Jesus died for our sins. Number two, that he was buried and raised from the dead. Number three, that Jesus' atoning death, burial, and resurrection were inseparable from the scriptures. And number four, that their core belief in the resurrection could be verified by evidence. It cannot be denied that the Methodist movement has, in recent decades, suffered greatly due to its, in I'm sorry, due to its tolerance of openly rebellious clergy, in some cases laity, and the Methodist-affiliated institutions of higher learning that publicly, and in some cases proudly, deny fundamental apostolic creedal convictions. As we look ahead to a massive transition at the story, I am praying that we will keep our eyes fix, fixed on the foundational and historic tenets of the Christian faith. I also, I, I also pray that we will avoid all the temptations and traps to which so many Christians and churches and denominations are, are as of today, falling prey such as the temptation to teach about God's love, but not about his wrath. 
the temptation to invite Jesus to be your wingman instead of your Lord, and the temptation to pick and choose which parts of the Bible are true and which parts can be discarded. Having spent 13 years deep in the sort of deception I've just described, I can personally attest to the real dangers of compromising Christianity's core convictions. In the Christian worldview, some ideas are immutable, such as the divinity of Jesus, his atoning sacrifice for our sins, his bodily resurrection, and our salvation by grace through faith through faith in Christ, as well as our belief that every word of the Bible was and is inspired by the Holy Spirit. As we prepare for the story's exciting new season ahead, I pray that we will be a church where both grace and truth are proclaimed, not just one or the other. Number three, we are committed to clearly explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ, plain and simple. For years, we in the West have been hearing about how our societies are becoming less religious. It's almost as if our neighbors are all becoming atheists in droves. Growing a church in such irreligious contexts would be as simple as demonstrating how life with faith, hope, and love is better than life without those things. And that would be an easy sell in a truly ir irreligious society. But how would our evangelistic approach have to change if our neighbors who no longer go to church are actually becoming more religious, not less? But they're becoming religious in some dark and surprising ways. In her fascinating book, Strange Rites, Tara Isabella Burton suggested that rising numbers of Americans aren't rejecting religion, but rather remixing it. More and more Americans, she wrote, envision themselves as creators of their own bespoke religions, mixing and matching spiritual and aesthetic and experiential and philosophical traditions. 72% of religious nuns say that they believe in some kind of God or gods. That's nuns, N-O-N-E-S, by the way meaning people that have no or claim no religious affiliation, not the Catholic nuns, okay? 72% <laughs> of religious nuns say they believe in some kind of God or gods. 47% say that uh, they believe that physical objects can hold spiritual energies. 40% believe in psychics. 38% believe in reincarnation. And 32% believe in astrology. Surprisingly, almost half of so-called non-religious people pray every day and claim to experience a sense of spiritual peace and well-being. Far from being cold, materialistic atheists, millennials and Gen Zers may represent the most spiritual generations in American history. In numbers that many older folks may not believe, young adults are finding religious meaning and, and supernatural purpose in everything from political movements like wokeism and Trumpism to self-care trends like soul cycle and essential oils. More extreme examples of these new religions include fandom of any particular show, movie, band, or books, etc. Sexual identities and lifestyles, witchcraft, and new age rituals such as crystals, tarot readings, and cleansing sage. In the marketplace of worldviews, the church's competition is not a lack of religion, but new religions that promise more immediate more highly customized deliverables to young consumers. Now, the good news for us is that in every time and place, the empty tomb of the risen Jesus is far more compelling than the empty idols of this fallen world. Still, if we are going to be a church that thrives in our increasingly pagan mission field, we have to learn how to clearly and unabashedly communicate the saving grace of Jesus Christ. People need to know that Jesus was perfect, so we don't have to be. Jesus is different from every religious leader. 
And this movement is remarkably distinct among all other religious movements, even modern-day ones. The difference Jesus makes is that while all religious high priests, no matter whether they're Jewish, Hindu, Wiccan, or New Age, will always require more from you, more devotion, more works, more money, etc. But Jesus doesn't need more from you. He only wants more of you, more of your heart, your trust, your love, your time. Priests of any religion will hope that you fear them enough to stay loyal to them. But Jesus just hopes that you love him enough to stay true. And even when you fall short, Jesus is right there to pick you up again, dust you off, to forgive you and get you on your way again. This is the heart of his gospel, and the world so desperately needs to hear it. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, the good news is that the world that we live in is ready for a new Jesus revolution. People everywhere are starving for something that only the grace of God in Christ can satisfy. Now, I'm not sure what all this means for the story's denominational identity, but I know this. If we continue to faithfully follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit will show up in a mighty way, and many of our friends and neighbors will encounter the life-changing reality of Jesus and his gospel through the life and work of our church at The Story. I love you all. Have a great weekend. I hope to see you on Sunday at The Story's uh, three services in River Oaks or our one service at our Timber Grove campus. Have a great weekend. Bye, everybody.